You're listening to Path of Love with David Youngren. To learn more about us, visit pathoflovecenter.com. Welcome to the Path of Love. I am Marcus, and here we're here with David Youngren talking about his book, Awakening to I Am Love. We are moving on to part four, the manifestation of your true self. He has a quote that says, our purpose here on earth to manifest the very nature of our spirit, which is touched by the spirit of God. Rumi. Let's talk to David about chapter 13. And chapter 13 is entitled, A Mindset of Love. How are you doing today, David? You know, I'm doing really good. It's it's in the summertime and it's it's life is uh, uh, good. Life is good. Yes, it Isn't is. Isn't it? Don't you think it's wonderful? It is. I I I I enjoy the summer a whole lot better because it's light outside a lot longer. So it's really nice true. to me. So let's talk about chapter 13, a mindset of love. Um, and actually, um, and and part four to your book. And part four to your book is the manifestation of your true self. Uh, what can you title for part four, manifestation of your true self? Well, we, we've been on this journey. So we started really with just asking some questions. And then the second part was about your false self, what we consider to be us and how we identify with a goic mind. Uh, we have a sense of identity that is based on external conditioning, what people have told us, whether it is even subconsciously from our childhood on, there are certain expectations, there are certain thoughts have been added to us that then have defined us. So we talked about that a little bit, and that's not who we are at the very core. And then we talked about the awakening to our true self, the process of awakening. We actually went through a number of different things. We looked at it from a from the point of view of science. We looked upon it from the point of view of spirituality. We looked at Jesus and faith and meditation. We kind of covered a lot of different things in that third uh uh, part of the book. Now, in the fourth part of the book, we're talking about what happens once you've experienced this transformation. When you begin to manifest your true self, if your true self is your spirit that is one with God, that is united in love with God, that is united in love with all and everyone, it, what, what happens? How, how does that change us? How can we expect things to be different in our lives? So that's really what we're talking about in this fourth part. Yeah, you talk about, and that moves into chapter 13, a mindset of love. Um, you talk about when you find your true self within, you gain a new view of yourself and of the world. So you're, you're, you've already, like the last chapter, spoke of meditation and things, but this one, you've, you've, awaken basically and now you're going through uh the things that happen on the, the other side if that's the right right word the other side of awakening you know is that yes, correct that's very i think that's very good yes all right you also say paul um ancient scribe writes mystically uh in the mindset of grace lifts us from an earthly fear based perce perception of the heavenly views of love where Christ is all in where Christ is all and in all. Um, can you elaborate on that a little bit more? Well, we have to realize that when you, once you awaken to who you are, your true self, 
you realize that your mind has been under the control of this egoic consciousness. And once you become more and more aware of this divine love within you, you gain uh, what Paul referred to as the mind of Christ. Now, of course, this was not a religious terminology, so sometimes people misinterpret this and think of religion immediately. This is not what I'm referring to here. I'm talking about a transformation of how you see the world that is based on love, selfless, unconditional love, that you begin to see the world differently than you did before, rather than seeing it through the egoic consciousness your mind has now been enlarged. And so you, the primary guide of your thoughts, feelings, and beliefs are now love rather than fear. Your vision is enlarged. The limitations of the past are broken. And the old you seems like a distant past because there is this new person. So Paul talks about this. You are, in other words, you, you begin now to see that Christ is all and in all. We no longer just worship the religion of Jesus, and it's not really the religion of Jesus, but it's the religion of Jesus' followers. But we begin to see now the Christ that Jesus so demonstrated and showed us what Christ is. We begin to see Christ as Jesus saw it. You know, I'm in the in the naked in the. I mean, all those people that society had ostracized, the society had. We're looking down upon. Jesus spoke of being in them, and we are lifted above this view of seeing things through the ego. But we now begin to see ourselves in all, and we begin to see God in all. And and there is a transformation in the way we view and observe reality. You used a, a great analogy um, with your charity called Juma's World. Um, I thought it was really cool the way you described how you uh, would uh, take that long journey uh, to um, uh, your destination. Can you explain that a little bit more? We started a charity called Juma's World that we help children and empower children in Tanzania. And most of our work has been located in the city of Tabora. Now, the city of Tabora is in the middle of Tanzania. And there was, for many years, there was no flight going into that city. They were doing a lot of work. They were, you know, it was just a gravel landing strip. And so it wasn't open for regular flights. But you could, of course, rent a plane or charter a small little plane that could land there. Mm -hmm. But I would always fly into this other city called Mwansa. Now, to drive from Mwansa to Tabora, they would always tell me that it would take six hours, but it always took eight hours. And it was the most treacherous road you will ever find. There were big potholes, especially after it rained. And you would sit there in this land cruiser and you would feel every bump in the road. And the entire time you would be up and down and shaking your head would hit the roof. And, and, and I'm thinking like, why am I doing this? Why am I torturing myself coming to this place for eight hours? Big pardon? For eight hours? For eight hours. Why would I torture myself like this? And then you had to drive back again to get out of there. And I, I, I was like, I was just, I can't believe I'm doing this. It was like sitting there and it's hot. You know, the air condition is not 
working very well. It's dusty because now you got to keep the windows open to get some fresh air flowing in. And so you, you, you sitting there in this heat, it's a lot of dust and potholes everywhere and it's just torture. Hmm. So I'm looking at it. I'm not enjoying this. Life is miserable. How many have ever gone through periods of misery in their life where you just kind of people tell you, oh, life is beautiful. Life is good. Look how beautiful it is. You don't see any beauty because you're so stuck in your mind. <laughs> we are so trapped in our mind and our thoughts and feeling sorry for ourselves and feeling like we're victims. Like I thought like I was a victim right there. <laughs> but then one day I was planning again to go back because it's amazing how quickly you forget, right? Like you say, well, I'll never do this trip again. But then next year you go back again or sometime later you go back again. And I thought, I'm going to see if I cannot find a better way to get there. And I did a little, some research and I contacted this private charter uh, airline. And they said that they would actually fly me because they were passing through to another city and they had workers going to this other city. So I could fly with them and they could land on this graveled landing strip. And so I flew with them and I sat in the cockpit and it was beautiful looking out and I noticed, look how beautiful everything is. This landscape is amazing. The trees, the roads down there, the people, look <laughs> at the water holes, the potholes. I, I'm looking at all these things and I'm just mesmerized by the beauty of it. And it's amazing how my view had changed because now, now I had like a heavenly perception. And so when we're talking about a mindset of love, what are we referring to? It's simply moving from that pothole mindset that is so stuck in feeling uh, like you have been done wrong for being, even having to go to this place and feeling sorry for yourself and communicating all kinds of negative stuff to yourself about why you're doing this and getting angry and upset about it and telling the guy, can you not miss these some of these potholes and you know all the different things that you, your mind goes through and now i was just enjoying it and i thought that's exactly what happens when you awaken to divine love within you when you become aware of this presence within you that permeates with love and grace and peace you move away from that egoic consciousness where you see nothing but problems where you see difficulties and where you're looking for your own personal victories, where the ego somehow or another has to be enhanced. You just become aware of a whole new reality. And that's really what I'm referring to here. And this is what in biblical text was referred to as the kingdom of heaven, but not just in biblical text, there are many other texts as well that talks about this. It's when we exchange fear for love as the primary lens of perception, what used to triggering anger, anxiety, worry, loneliness, despair, and unhappiness will no longer face you as it did in the past. Your view of people will shift from negativity and judgment to hopeful and life-giving. You, you'll be more forgiving. You'll have more empathy for people. You will be more generous toward people because you see things so radically different. You have awakened to the Christ-centric consciousness. And that's what I'm talking about in this last uh, segment of the book. And in your analogy, just in real life, what you said makes you, makes you feel better. You're not upset. You're not 
tired. You're not depressed. You're not angry for going through the potholes any longer. But and then at the same time, once you've awakened, you're not wanting to go back either. You don't want to go back to that area where the potholes are and that whole dust, uh, terrible uh, road any longer. You don't want to travel by land cruise. You want to travel. You want to travel by air, and uh, it just. And and of course, we're not talking literally here. But when mm -hmm. you begin to think about that more deeply, that's really what we're referring to. Then most people are living trapped in their mind. So if you think of that as traveling on the road in a land mm -hmm. cruiser with potholes, but when you begin to awaken to your truest and deepest self, your spirit, and that recognize that you're one with God, you actually lift it up into that airplane and you begin to see reality through the lens of God. So you next I'm going to talking about exploring the mindset a little bit further. And you have a subcategory called the confident mind. And you talk about rejection a lot. Can you explain a little bit more about that? Rejection is probably one of the most common emotional wounds that any of us experiences will experience in life. You think about it when a spouse leaves you or you get passed up for a promotion or you get fired or you get excluded from a social gathering or you're, you know, you're the last person to be picked for your basketball team or, you know, when you, when you have 10 guys standing around and somebody's picking and you just know that you're the worst player and, 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 and not just that, it's also with dating and, and, you know, like young people go through the emotional pain we can feel can be absolutely paralyzing. And what is interesting, I began to look into this some more and I realized that our bodies, you know, we all experience physical pain when somebody, if someone punches you in the head, you will experience physical pain. Now, what fMRI studies indicate is that the area of the brain that activates physical pain is also triggered when we experience rejection. Isn't that amazing? Mm -hmm. So rejection they have concluded is the cause of so much violence, especially in teenagers, even more so than drugs and poverty and even gang affiliation. School shootings, so you study school shootings and even a violence against women are so often linked to rejection. Of course, most people will not have those severe effects or will not suffer those severe effects of uh, rejection, but they still go through emotional instability. They become mm -hmm. critical of themselves. They're depressed. They're disgusted with other people. And they even begin to self-destruct. And when you go through rejection, you think about it, even your IQ is lowered because your mind is so uh, filled with this anger and, and you know, irritation and disgust and everything else that you're not thinking clearly. And then your body language is affected, your social behavior is affected. And have you, I don't know if you've ever seen this, and you probably may, even in yourself, if you know, the, I can't look back at times when I've been rejected, you go into kind of a shell and you spend less time with friends and family. And, you know, when people look at us, it's hard to make eye contact with people. It's, we have a tough time smiling. Uh, we look down rather than keeping our head held high. 
because it's a shame. It's, like, yeah, exactly. It's, it's a shame, right? We feel <clears throat> there's something wrong with us. Someone rejected us. And so we go back to what we talked about earlier, because someone rejected us, we feel this shame, right? We feel this insecurity about ourselves. We feel like we're not worthy to be loved and accepted, right? <laughs> and that there's something wrong with us. And that creates all these emotions. It's almost like a form of punishing ourselves. So other people look down upon us. We have these feelings. We interpret what other people think and feel about us. And now we have to punish ourselves punish ourselves with depression, with anger, with anxiety, with feelings of loneliness and despair. And if that doesn't work, well, then we have to punish somebody else. We have to punish the people who did us wrong, or we have to take it out on somebody. And the so you see this being... Yeah, because we see this played out all the time. So changing that mindset of rejection um, is done how? Well, think about it this way. When you awaken to love, because remember, the ego seeks to enhance itself, right? The ego wants to be seen, to be, to be stand out to be enhanced, to feel good, to be better than, to be on this continuum of knowledge of good and evil, it needs to be on the good side. So when we feel low, when we feel on the negative side, what do we do? We want to cause suffering to other people. We want other people to suffer as much as we do. And so we pro project our own self-hatred uh, onto others. But when you awaken to love, what happens? your confidence is no longer based on what people do to you and for you. Like it doesn't matter whether people reject you. It doesn't matter how people think about you. It doesn't make a difference because there is a security. There's a confidence that you have because you are secure in love and you don't take it personal. For example, when you smile at somebody, let's say you're smiling at somebody and they don't smile back at you. Well, in the first thought that people have is, What's wrong with me? Why are they not smiling? So we feel a sense of rejection, right? But when we awaken mm -hmm. to love within us, then we don't need for, their, for them to respond to us. We are smiling out of the overflow of our heart and we, to allow this divine flow to flow through us into others. So whether they smile back at us or not, doesn't make a difference. So you don't need the affirmation. You don't need that person to give you something back because you're giving what's in your heart just just because that egoic mind's gone and you're awakened to the love. Exactly. And so then the, the amazing thing is, is people will reject you less because you just have this confidence about you. So you walk around and you're smiling at people, you're happy. And how people respond back to you is immaterial. But what happens, and I've seen this myself, what happens is, is that it's like this, there's this attraction about you. Because of that, people say, why is that person so happy and confident? And, and, you know, even when I'm rude and miserable or whatever, they still act like nothing. They still have compassion. They're still happy. What is that? It's because there is an awakening that's taking place inside of you where you're aware of your truest and deeper self, your union with God. And that's where you draw your strength from. And that is why you are confident, whether whatever the external situation is, 
whatever, however people reject you, there's still confidence because your confidence is not based on what other people do to you, but is based on the security of being one with God. Well, speaking of strength and, and, and security, another uh, mindset is the strong mind. And you talk about vulnerability. And there's a lot of people who are afraid to be vulnerable. Can you elaborate on that? Most of us have been taught, maybe so the older we are, maybe perhaps, that vulnerability is a weakness. We appear weak because we have to portray perfection. So we always assume, and we see this, and I'm not going to point fingers at anybody, but if you study some of the politicians today, you can see that. They want to project strength, never show weakness, never let people in and see what you truly like. And that is actually a sign of weakness. It's a sign of the ego keeping us under imprisoned, keeping us in locks and bounds where we're unable to, to really uh, be an expression of love to others. I remember this young lady one time, you know, I, was, I always try so hard to be strong. I don't let anyone in because I'm afraid I will be rejected. Whenever someone gets close to enough to see my vulnerabilities, I find the excuse to run away from the relationship. That's really what she was doing. And, and, and she was filled with so much tears because we have been hoodwinked into thinking that flawless perfection is the only way we will be loved and accepted. That's what we think. The ego believes that the only way you're going to be loved is by being perfect. So when everybody, anybody begins to see our failures and flaws, the ego then creates impenetrable masks that show off our abilities, talents, knowledge, and wealth. We want to be seen as someone who's made it. I'm self-made. Look how much money I have. Look at the cars I drive. Look at the house I live in. Look at how I'm flying in my private jet. We have all these different things, and we begin to identify with them because we are afraid to be exposed. Because we flawless perfection, or whatever that perfection is, is how we have to portray ourselves in order to feel a sense of love and acceptance from others. But reality is different. Isn't it amazing? You know, we're just in the midst of Olympics. We're recording this usually about a week before it's being aired. So for those who are keeping track of where we're at, we're during the middle of the Olympics. And so Simone Biles withdrew from the team competition in gymnastics, but also from the individual event. Now, we don't know what's going to happen, at least at this particular point. By the time people listen to this, they will know. Because of mental issues. Now, it took tremendous strength for her to stand up and speak about this. I mean, I can, I can sympathize with her. I can understand the pressure she has gone through. She was projected to win, I don't know, was it five or six gold medals? Mm -hmm. The entire nation's hopes are on her for years and years and years. She has been under this stress. Everybody expects her to win. Everybody talks to her. Everybody wants to be close to her because of it. She has been living under this enormous pressure from everybody. I mean, at least that's what it appears like. 
what a response that we have given her. And I see this, even some of my friends on Facebook are really applauding her because people can identify with it. Mm -hmm. She's supposed to project this uh, perfection. Mm -hmm. And strength. Like the greatest gymnast of all time with this incredible skill. And suddenly she showed us she is human with flaws and everything else. And not everybody, some can be very mean and, dis and, and treat her, I'm sure, disparagingly. But I think many of us feel her pain and can relate to it. And it's a strength rather than a weakness. Mm -hmm. It is. And with that vulnerability and that mindset change of, of, of being having a strong mind, you're saying that being vulnerable makes your mind even stronger, makes you a stronger person. Is that correct? Yes. And this is the reason why. Because think about it. What is the root cause of needing to be perfect? It's fear. Fear that you will be exposed as a fraud. It's fear that you will not live up to people's expectations. It's rooted in fear. And once you allow your imperfections to be seen, the fear is gone. The fear leaves you. And now there is strength. Now there is a strength from within. Now you get in touch again with love. You get in touch with your deeper self. Even look at Simone, look at her face. Did you see that? After the team competition, she was so happy for her teammates. He was like a burden had lifted. Exactly. And, 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 and I took such joy in that. I mean, I mean, I was just like, I just got, I got so happy for it to mm -hmm. see how happy she was. She was celebrating her teammates, how well they were doing. And I thought, oh, wow, this is amazing mm -hmm. because she was the fear was gone she didn't have the pressure anymore it was okay now now everybody knew that she struggled mm -hmm. and that's what that's what it does it frees you and now you're able to then experience healing you see this is what happens now love will heal your heart now love will heal your sense of identity so it doesn't mean that you will never achieve anything after that it means the opposite now when love heals you you no longer need to be validated through perfection. <laughs> you are already validated from within. So now you can give your best without the fear of failure. So which moves on to the peace of mind, because you've already released and the vulnerability is, is laid out there. The, the you is laid out there um, with no shame um, and you're free from that. Now it's time for peace of mind. How do you explain peace of mind? Well, let me just give you a little bit of preface here to the peace <laughs> of mind. I think I like to use that word just to look at you and then see what your response will be. Because we use it a few times, almost like an inside joke here. Uh, but whenever we are attacked, our immediate response is either fight or flight, right? most of it is relating to a physical attack. So for example, if you are, if there's a lion standing in front of you, well, it's good that you have a fight or flight kind of response. There's a physical threat against your body. So now you either have the option 
to fight the lion or try to get away from the lion, right? Those are the two options. But there is also a psychological fight or flight mode. And that has to do with mental stress. So it, this is not rooted in a threat to your body, but this is an attack on your sense of self, your egoic mind, your conceptualized self. When someone criticizes, attacks, or pressures you, it activates anxiety, worry, and stress. And you will either fight back in defense or run away from the conflict. And since each reaction, whether you fight or whether you run away, is rooted in fear, it does not lead to inner freedom. It doesn't lead to inner, or it doesn't lead to conflict resolution. It, it in fact, sinks you further into the claws of the ego, which alienates you from unconditional love. So that's really what I'm talking about here. Well, you can use your Simone Bios um you know, analogy again on this, where when she released to the public that uh, a mental um, situation was going on with her, she could have just picked up her stuff and left. She could have just fought with whatever the critics are saying. Instead, she went out to support her team and felt more free and more at peace with the decision that she did, that yeah. she created. It was somehow or another, you know, I'm not sure. Of course, we, we're speculating right now uh, because we don't know the, really what's going on. But, but at the same time, there is a principle there that I think is very, very true. When you're conscious of divine love, your comeback to criticism and personal attacks is not motivated anymore by need to defend your sense of self which we understand is the ego. If you do something that is wrong, you can just apologize. But if you're unjustly charged, you also know that the reason why people are upset is not so much to do with you as it is about themselves. You triggered something in them. You triggered an insecurity in them. So I'm sure that there are people who are upset with her not participating. But that can also be because their sense of identity is so re deeply rooted in being Americans or whatever the case would be, that it felt like, you know, when she was winning, you know, we are winning. And so that was threatened. So they could be angry about that. But you don't you realize that you realize that that's what it is. Whenever there's a sense of threat against you as a person or your sense of self, your identity, it likes to push back. But when you really awaken to love, or you either run away and hide, but when you really wake up to love, you're just free, as you talked about. You're afraid to celebrate with your teammates. You're afraid to see them achieve greatness. It changes everything. You spoke about people getting into situations or getting hurt or unjustly uh, accused of certain things. And, but you also said something that was very hard for a lot of people to do. And that was silence is sometimes the best response to people's bitterness and pain. Can you elaborate on that? Well, I don't know about you, but you, I'm sure everybody loves you. <laughs> <laughs> but I have had a number of times people send me 
nasty emails or they send me things through Facebook, a message, and they speak poorly about me. That doesn't happen that often, but it does happen. Now, what do we do, especially if they do, if you post something on Facebook, you know, like sometimes I post stuff on Facebook and not everybody agrees with me. I don't know why that would be, but they don't agree with me. And they bring up arguments. And most of the time I don't respond. And people wonder, why don't you respond? You need to defend yourself. No, I don't need to defend myself. Why do I need to defend myself? Now, if I think it would help them, I would. But most of the time, the reason why I want to defend myself is to defend my honor and prove to people that I'm right. But I don't need to be proven right. Love doesn't need to be proven right. Love only seeks to bring wholeness in their relationship. So if I start arguing with that person, that's not going to bring wholeness. I may feel good about myself because I've won the argument. I debated better than that person who wrote something. And, you know, but I don't do it. Rarely do I do it because I know that it will only strengthen my ego and it will not be love flowing. So most of the time I don't say anything. Now there are times when I would respond, especially I do it more in private. So if somebody says something to me, I will go to them in private and I will respond. And it depends on who it is. If it's someone that I know very well, that I also know look up to me and they have a concern and, you know, whatever, they've known me for a long time and they, they looked up to me and now I disappointed them. I respond not because I need to be proven right, but because I don't want them. I feel for them. I, I feel a sense of, I feel saddened for them that they feel the way they do. And then I respond. But this is rooted in divine love. Now, I'm not saying I'm perfect in this, but what I'm saying is when you begin to awaken, it's like Jesus. Jesus didn't defend himself mm-hmm. when he was accused before Pontius Pilate. He didn't say anything. He said nothing. It says he was silent. Jesus didn't respond to the accusations. Now, when he finally responded to Pilate, he basically prompted Pilate to look inside himself and find the truth, mm. which is amazing. So think about it. How many of us? And I mean, this must have completely dumbfounded Pontius Pilate because he was a judge. And as a judge, you have a lot of people standing in front of you and they will always try to find someone else to blame for their problems. They will always try to they lie and they betray a friend or do anything to get off the hook. So this must have so dumbfounded this Pontius Pilate that the response of Jesus was to say nothing against his accusers. And I I think that that's how love, that's how love acts. You say a mindset of love defies our logic and runs contrary to every impulse of the ego. Yet in the end, love always wins. That's very interesting. And and, then also in the, the respects to what Jesus said to Pontius Pilate, you know that love won in the end. If love is not the ultimate reality of the universe, the universe is doomed and our very existence is here is meaningless. But that's not what I believe. I believe the ultimate reality is love. 
And there is something in, within each and every one of us. Have you ever noticed this? I've noticed this in people. Even people that we disagree with, even people who can get upset and we, we criticize and we, we feel terrible about. But even in them, even in them, even go and talk to your enemy after a couple of years and you're really in need of something, you ask them for something, they will probably respond and do it for you. Because ultimately, there's something within each and every one of us that calls out for love, that calls out to give love, to bring wholeness, to bring unity, to bring forgiveness. I think naturally all of us desire to unify with others. Now, so many of us are so deeply buried in our ego that we cannot see that. And, but at the core, at the very core of our being, we all seek love and to love others because that's who we are at the very core. Mm -hmm. So you move on to the non-judgmental mind and how people being judged and about things uh, can really, you know, cause an issue there. Can you elaborate on that? Really what I'm referring to is that the mind, you analyze your mind and just observe your mind for a day. Mm -hmm. And you will notice that your mind gravitates toward negative judgment about yourself and others. It just rises out of nowhere. Just look in the mirror. I was looking in the mirror at myself a couple of times and I can judge myself four or five times a day. Man, oh my goodness. Yeah, and we judge others. We judge conversation. We have this inner dialogue and we kind of, someone did us wrong, we were offended or something, and we judge them. If someone cuts you off in traffic, we judge them. We, we just, oh, you know, that person cannot drive. It could be something totally not relating. Maybe they were in a hurry to get somewhere and their mind is distracted. We don't, we don't know, but we immediately judge them. And when someone doesn't perform to our expectations, you know, we are inclined to form judgment about our own performance and the situations we find ourselves and the people that we encounter. We instantly make conclusions about people or forms of judgment about people based on their looks their clothes, their race, their gender, their wealth, their job, the nationality, their fame, you know, even the jewelry they wear, it can be so many different things. But the interesting thing is that the judgments that we make often convey more about us than them. And, and there is a reason for that, Marcus. And the reason is the ego that seeks to feel special and superior seeks a, to make a snap verdict about whether that individual will enhance our sense of self. So let's say a gold medalist came by your door and down walking down your street and stopped at your house or stopped at my house. What would the ego want to do? Get a selfie, a picture with him. <laughs> People have got to see this. No one's because people want to see me next to this guy. Exactly. Right. <laughs> so we judged that person as someone that would enhance me. We really don't care about that person, but we care about how that person is going to make me look 
in front of all my friends and all my relatives. But mm -hmm. let's now play it the other way. Let's say that this famous athlete came down the road and, and your neighbors were all outside looking and now they come to you and they completely ignore you and turn away from you. You try to speak to them and say something and they won't respond. There's like, they don't like you for some reason. You get the impression that they don't like you. You don't know whether that's a case, case or not. Now, guess what happened? You make a judgment about them that is not necessarily based on facts because they could be caught up in some other thing. They aren't caught up in their own world. So now you got to find a fault with that person that you could find no fault with before because they have made you inferior about you, yourself. They have diminished your sense of self in front of you and in front of others. So now you have to diminish them to somehow or another equalize the injustice done to you. And you see how this ego works like that? Mm -hmm. and, and so like you can use this as another example. I use this example in the book that, you know, if you meet an attractive person that, you know, especially when we're young, you're someone that seemed interested in you. Now you feel good about yourself. And so you make a favorable judgment about that person. But if the person gives you the cold shoulder, your sense of self is threatened. Mm -hmm. And you will therefore subconsciously try to find something in that person to criticize and complain about. It's very common. And we also, another way we judge people is by placing them in a category, giving them a label. So for example, politically, are you a um, Republican or a Democrat? So if, if you're a Republican and they say they're a Democrat, you feel, you check inside, you make a judgment about them that they are not as enlightened as you are. They don't know what you know. And this goes on all the time in our minds. And notice how people, one of the first things that people ask you, especially someone who has a great job, they ask what you do. And then they make a judgment to see whether they are further along than you on this continuum of good and evil, or if they're further down. And whatever, if they feel a sense of further ahead of you, then they may not pay attention to you. But if they feel that you are further ahead and you are nice to them, now they will seek to get close to you to enhance the, their sense of self. You see how this ego plays tricks with us all the time? But there is a better way, and that is really what I'm referring to in the book, as you, I'm sure, will ask me soon. <laughs> <laughs> and then you also drag people into your, your judgments. So say your example of the neighbors, then you go back to talk to your other neighbor across the street that you're friends with and you tell them about, oh, did you see what they did? Why are they acting this way? What is, uh, what's wrong with them? And then you, you create a bigger situation. So being non-judgmental um, is how do you move forward into that direction? Well, of course you can't stop yourself from being judgmental. It's impossible. The only thing you can do is to begin to go down that path toward awakening. And that's what I've been trying to help people go through. I can't help anybody awaken. There's no magic formula. There's no three or four steps, follow these 15 steps, and suddenly you're going to be awakened person. No, I, I can't do it. It's impossible. But what I can do is I can talk about it and provide little clues here and there. And if people truly want to be free, 
if they truly want to be free from the non-judgmental mind or from the judgmental mind, because the judgmental mind is the cause of so much pain and suffering in their lives. It, you think about how much time we spend judging people. And, and what do you feel at those moments when you judge other people? You don't feel good. You feel terrible. You feel angry. And it leads to depression. It leads to all kinds of toxic emotions that can be so devastating and debilitating. But when you, when you awaken to this presence within you, when you awaken to the kingdom of God that is within you, when you awaken to your true self, when you awaken to God within you, when you awaken to your oneness with God, and then you see it in others, when you awaken to God in the person that has done you wrong, what happens then? You're free. You don't judge them anymore for the wrong that they did to you. Because what they did to you, you realize they did because they were not awakened to begin with. But you have a sense of compassion for them. You have empathy for them. And there is a sense of forgiveness for flows because you see them not for how they act, but you see them for who they are at their very core, their true essence that is one with God. So, for example, the way Jesus said on the cross, please forgive them because they do they not know what they do. Yeah. Isn't that amazing? Mm. I mean, he had every reason to judge those people who had done him wrong. But that's not what he did. They don't know what they're doing. He could have said they don't know who they are. Forgive. Forgive because they don't know who they are. It's, it's so radically di a different way to live. It is. It is. So you go into a story in here and you talk about the Muslim premier. And you, you end the chapter with that, that story. And I, 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 I think you should... Maybe share it with everybody here. <laughs> <laughs> well, kind of, uh, I didn't know exactly how to end this chapter. So I included a story from way back. I was speaking in Tanzania, and I think it was Tanzania. I was speaking in, in, in a community where half the people were Muslim. Uh, Actually, 40% of the people population was Muslim, 40% were Christian, and 20% belonged to some other religion. And so there was not tension in the city, but I was there to speak. And of course, I had these great meetings with tens of thousands of people. And when you have great crowds, usually the one, who, the, a lot of times you have people who have political power come out because they like to stand in front of a crowd mm -hmm. and talk to get their message out because they're looking for votes, right? So at this particular meeting I had, we had so many tens of thousands of people there and the local premier or pro provincial premier or governor, whatever you want to call it for that particular region, for that whole region, they call it something different. I don't know exactly the terminology they use. Well, he was Muslim. So we were waiting for him and I was supposed to speak and I had to finish at a certain time. So we were waiting for him to show up because this was the first meeting and he was supposed to inaugurate the event 
and he was supposed to speak to the crowd. And finally, about 20 minutes, 25 minutes before we were supposed to end, because it gets dark and you're not allowed to have public meetings when it's dark outside. He showed up with his motorcade, you know, all these different vehicles. He got, gets up there and and he stands there and talks. And I'm thinking, oh, he's talking on my dime. I paid for this event, you know, like I'm making judgment. He's just trying to score a point here. This Muslim guy, and you have to understand, coming from this Christian background, I had like this thing against Muslims, you know, that was like, oh, well, you know, what? who are they anyhow? And so he went on and spoke for a while. So when it came time for me to speak, I got up. And, you know, I've done this for a while, speaking in front of crowds like that. So I turned to him. And I turned to the crowd and I said, it's so great to have our, this political leader here. Isn't that great, everybody? You know? And then I said, you know, I've seen people from around the world. I've seen this. This is like back in the, I think it was in the 20 years ago or so. And mm-hmm. how some of the most influential leaders, the president of the United States, he's a Christian. He's come to know Christ. I'm standing up saying that it's so good to see our political leaders. And of course, he's a Muslim. So Mm. I could see how irritated he is with me. He says, you are manipulating the crowd. You're making a point, a statement. And I was, I knew I was. I was retaliating (laughs) against him for being late and taking my time and giving me five to seven minutes at the end to conclude and do everything. And so I knew I was. So that this played out. And of course, the people didn't know. They're all cheering. They think this is great, right? It's just like, but I, he knows. I look at him and he is just sitting there stone-faced on, on the stage behind mm-hmm. me. And I'm just smiling, enjoying it. <laughs> well, what happened the following day, I got this visit from the local, some immigration department and they were asking for my passport and i think I'm, i've oh. been in this country so many times never been asked for my passport so they took my passport and said we need to make sure that you are legally entitled to have meetings here that you're legally to do to do all these different things i thought oh no this governor he's so angry with me he's now going to pay back i paid back and now he's going to you know the retaliation <laughs> it's like this cycle of of, uh, you know, I'm going to pin you and I'm going to make your life miserable. You know, I'm going to cause you pain because you caused me pain. So now I thought, oh, my goodness, what have I done? So I had this inner prompting. I, I thank, thankfully, I was able to come to a place of peace within and mm-hmm. just become aware of love. And I started feeling this love and compassion toward this man. So I went down to the offices, and I noticed his office was right across from the immigration office, which is kind of <laughs> interesting. And so we asked if we could meet with him, and of course he didn't want to meet with us. But then I made, I, the, the president or the vice president of the country had actually died that same week, so I made a sizable donation, mm-hmm. and you had to write it in the book. And so I thought, I'm going to make a sizable donation in the fund of this guy or whatever. And within 10 minutes, I was allowed in. And I could tell he was really, you know, can you, you tell when someone is angry and upset, right? Like they have this stern look on their face. And he says, okay, let's get on with it. What do you want? So I reached out my hand and I said to him, I just want to say thank you. 
thank you for coming yesterday to the meeting. And for, for two or three minutes, I just spoke good things. Mm. I spoke kind, I spoke with words of kindness and generosity and love and appreciation for him. And I could see how his countenance changed on his face. Mm -hmm. And he became happy and he said, well, thank you very much for coming to our city. We so much appreciate that. And after about 15 minutes of just chatting and talking, <laughs> I left. And, and then two hours later, they came from immigration and said, oh, everything is fine. Here are your passports. Wow. 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 And <laughs> here is a point. Here is the real point that I'm trying to make with the story. How would our interactions with one another, not just on a local level in our families, not just in our, in our local communities, but nation to nation, religion to religion, race to race. How would that change if we would awaken to divine love and see ourselves in the other rather than making judgments about them that is based on our own insecurities and our own fears and our own, and our own egoic thinking. What would happen when we awaken to love within us? And you explain it correctly in the last paragraph, judgmental attitudes and hypocritical actions tear us apart, but the attitude of words that reveal selfless divine love bring healing restoration, wholeness between people, families, and nations. Yeah. A new person emerges. You are being transformed by love to be love. Mm -hmm. Isn't that the key to a better world? Isn't that the key to better relationships? Isn't that key to better health in your own life? Isn't that key to feeling Freedom is the key to everything. When we awaken to this divine presence within us, the more there is a unity, the more there is a, an awakening of our oneness, the more we see God manifested in the world through us. That is the way to peace in the world. Well, you described it so elegantly in this chapter 13, The Mindset of Love. We look forward to meeting with you next week to speak about uh, the final chapter to your book, Awakening to I Am Love. Thanks for listening to today's podcast of Path of Love with David Youngren. This podcast is produced by the Path of Love Center, thanks to the generosity of our donors. If you enjoyed this podcast, consider rating it, writing a review, and sharing it with a friend. Together, we can grow an inclusive community around the transformational work of love. To learn more about Path of Love and get daily wisdom seeds sent to your email inbox, visit pathoflovecenter.com. You can also download David Youngren's guided audio meditation, Healing Stillness, for free at our website. From all of us at Path of Love, may love, joy and peace be with you always.